Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here today to praise and worship our God together. So please stand with us and let's sing together. <clears throat> Hello. Life. 
worship is blowing kisses to God. It's letting God know how much we love him and we appreciate him. And uh, In Wilmore, Kentucky, there's that chapel service that started a week and a half ago is still going on. Uh, people have come from quite a few different places and other campuses. This similar type things are happening. I'm watching. I'm waiting. I'm hoping it's the real deal. If it is, you can't stop it. If it isn't, it'll fizzle out. But anyway, praise the Lord. I heard in Uganda there are thousands of people getting saved every week in Uganda. So, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is the last hurrah before the Lord comes again. Wouldn't that be great? Have a whole billions of people get saved, and then the Lord come back, and the uh, devil can have the whole mess that's left behind, right? <laughs> let's, let's worship him together today. Father, we come before you, and we bow before you, Lord, recognizing that you are the reason for our very existence. It's you who created us. It's you who gave us life. It's you who gave us eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. It's you, Father, who we are to serve. It's you that we're to glorify. You're to receive all honor and praise for everything that's accomplished, Lord. And whatever's happening, whether it's in Wilmore, Kentucky, whether it's in um, Ashbury, in particular, in the school there, whether it's in some of the other schools that have experienced similar things, or in Uganda, or wherever in the world it might be, God, wherever your name is lifted up and worshiped and there's revival, we thank you, we praise you for it. God, we ask that, that revival would sweep our country from shore to shore, north to south. God, just uh, help us to, as a people to draw closer to you than we've been in generations and maybe forever. Father, we pray your blessings on Terry Miller as he preaches there at First Baptist in San Diego. God, just fill him with your Holy Spirit. Be in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. all right, tell the person next to you, hey, you sure looking good today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we do have some first-time visitors with us today. We're so thankful to have you with us uh, from wherever you are. One from Iberia, uh, Africa. We're so glad to have you. West Africa, I believe it is. And uh, wherever you're from, thank you for coming to First Baptist Church. In the seat back in front of you is one of these connection cards. Uh, and if you're a first-time guest, please take one and fill it out. You can... Write prayer requests on the back. You can ask questions on the back, but fill it out for us. We'd appreciate that. And in addition, if you're, if you're a member or a tender here, but you have a prayer request, go ahead and fill one out as well. And then when you get through with that, to the left of the double doors, as you leave, there's a box on a stand. That's where our members put their tithes and offerings. That's where our guests put their connection card. So I hope you'll have an opportunity to fill that out. Today, going to be preaching on to Egypt and back. After that, military meal on the patio for all of those active military who are here. Next Sunday, preaching on a carpenter's son as we go through the life of Christ incrementally, day by day, chronologically. Um, then on Tuesday night, Regal Theater, Rancho Santa Fe at 6 p.m., we have five tickets left. Do we have five still, Annabelle? Pardon? They're gone? I'm sorry, it's Wednesday. In Bonita. Chula Vista. I have no idea what she's saying. 
but I agree with it. Whatever it is, I agree with it. it is, it's not the one down in Mission Valley. It is the one in Chula Vista. So, yeah, I know where the Rubio's is. I, I know where all the eating places are. So it's close, close to Rubio's there. So, uh, so do you have any tickets left? No, no tickets left. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, we are looking for paid child care position in the nursery for navigators on Tuesday nights and perhaps for Sunday mornings also. Please let Julie know. Also, if you signed up to work in children's ministry, bless your hearts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you signed up, please meet with Julie uh, right after the, the service. She'll give you a volunteer packet and explain what needs to be done. So you who signed up to work with Children's Ministry, if you didn't sign up yet but you want to, we will gladly give you a packet as well. Last week, we had 206 people in here. Don't tell the fire marshal. <laughs> Unless he's a Christian. And, and if he's a Christian, he'll, he'll be glad for that. But that leads me to a decision that I've been weighing for a while. For Easter, we're going to have to have, I think, two services. I believe that in order to have any kind of a bump and increase, in order to accommodate uh, more people, we're going to have to have. And Shira has volunteered these wonderful praise team people. Really? Have you talked to him yet? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so in conclusion... Uh, <laughs> So, so we're probably looking at an 8.30, an 8.30 and 10.15. Reason, let me explain why. Uh, I'd like to go at 9 and 11 is what I'd like to do. But in my past history of 50 years of, of having churches on Easter and changing times and going double services, uh, if you change the main one too much, people get all out of whack and don't remember what in the world time to come. So this at 10.15, people who come for the 10 o'clock service... A lot of you will just be on time for once. That's, that's the honest truth of the matter. You'll be on time, and we can go ahead and start at 1015. But uh, 830 should give us time, uh, if we stay within some, some parameters there, of being able to get one crowd in, one crowd out. Now, we will have overflow on the patio also, both services. But uh, how many would consider coming to an 830 service? Let me see your hand. You, that's a good number. Thank you. My wife's going to be here. That, that's always encouraging. I appreciate that. So, all right. So we, I didn't ask for any hands back here. So, yeah. I, I'm not. All right. So, uh, so two services. It'll be at 8.30 and 9.15. Here's the, uh, I'm sorry, 10.15. You know what? I don't even know where I am. Where am I? What am I doing here? I do know about this, the prosperity gospel in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, making requests, if by any means now at any length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. This mention of the word prosperous is the first of only four occurrences in the, of the Greek word enodu, which literally means good journey, but translated prosper or prosperous in the New Testament. Here it is actually rendered prosperous journey. It is obvious that Paul was not praying for his journey to prosper financially. For the next verse indicates his, his long desire had been to impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you might be established. However, the word has come to include any kind of prospering, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, when Paul urged Christians to provide financial help for other Christians in need. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as the God has prospered him, he said. The term can also apply to physical and spiritual health in two other occurrences in 3 John 1, 2, Beloved, 
I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Unfortunately, here's the part I want you to listen to uh, in particular. Unfortunately, certain teachers of the latter days have taken the biblical teaching of spiritual prosperity to mean financial prosperity, which they tend as the right of every Christian. Uh, that's not true. Jesus Christ was born into poverty. Jesus Christ's mother offered two pigeons, two birds, two doves or pigeons, I'm not sure which, but two birds uh, for her cleansing as we studied last week for her offering and her purification offering. That indicated they didn't have enough money to present a lamb and a dove. So this prosperity gospel is so clearly unscriptural that it is merely a testimony to the greed of Christians who believe it, that they may desire to be rich they who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish, hurtful lusts, warned Paul in 1 Timothy 6. And to whatever extent God does prosper us financially, it is strictly for the purpose of helping others not to indulge ourselves. Charge them that are rich in the world that they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute. God blesses us so that we can be conduits of the things he gives to us for other people. The whole idea of denying ourselves and taking up our cross is to, is to put ourselves uh, last, is, is not to be thinking of ourselves first, but to think of others. And there's just been, the reason I felt compelled to, to read this and to share this with you, there's a big emphasis on uh, prosperity gospel, that if you give and if you tithe, and especially if you tithe to my church, then God will make you rich. And that is totally uh, not of God. <clears throat> that, is, that is from Satan himself. That's not the gospel. So you tithe, whether God makes you prosper financially or not, I'm going to tithe whether, uh, whether there's ever any benefit seen from it, I'm going to tithe because it's what I believe is right to do in serving God. And, and I'm going to help others because that's also my responsibility. So I wanted to share that with you, uh, and when you hear about that, uh, I hope it'll raise a red flag, prosperity gospel. You know what? I'd rather prosper spiritually than financially any day of the week. Let's stand together as we continue to worship the Lord, praying that God will break out revival right here.
appropriate for today's message. Horatio Spafford lost most of his wealth, most of his income, most of his earnings in the fire in Chicago, and then was sending his wife and daughters to Europe, and he was going to meet them later on, and the ship sank. The wife was rescued, but the four daughters perished. And then on a trip to join his wife, he came to the spot, the captain said, where the other ship went down. And these words began to be formed in his mind, his heart. You know what? Even though we have problems, even though we're going through great trials, some of you may be going through the greatest pressures of your entire life. God is still God. He still loves us. He can still take care of us. He can still provide our needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what? We use that verse talking about I can do anything I want to do type thing. That's not what the context is. The context is having the peace of God and being content with wherever and whatever God has allowed us to have and wherever he has allowed us to be. And he said, because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content with what God has done for me and where God has allowed me to be, even if it goes through burying your four girls. Father, I pray that you would help us to be men and women of God who would be content in the blessings that you provide us, whatever they might be, whatever circumstances we go through, help us to be encouraged today that we're not alone. We're a member of a vast army, including billions of people who have lived on this earth, who've gone through tribulations and trials, some of them much more horrendous than we could ever think about. So God help us to do through Christ all things you'd have us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Boys and girls, come on up here to the front. Boys and girls, the First Baptist Church, we want you to we want you to come up. How many of you boys and girls like stories, like children's stories? How many of you like to hear children's stories? Anybody like those? Does anybody know about Pinocchio? What's who was Pinocchio? You don't know? Who was Pinocchio? He's a puppet, and what happened when he told lies? Huh? His nose grew. You remember that? How many know about Pinocchio? His nose would grow, and every time he'd tell another lie, it'd go longer and longer and longer. And Yeah, and you know what? It's a good thing, good thing that doesn't happen today with politicians, because that, be, that would really be something. How many know about Snow White? How many about Snow, Snow White? And, and, and what happened with Snow White? Did she, she, was, she, was, she had several people that she stayed in the house with. What was their name? What, who were they? They were the seven dwarves. Yeah, yeah. Did you like Snow White? Yeah. How many know about Cinderella? I watched You watched the movie? Did you see the real story about it? Holy cow, wasn't that one? And how about, does anybody here know about Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall? Yeah, he, he fell down and broke all into a hundred thousand pieces. And these were all make believe people. Make believe people, but you know what? They're real people, like David and Goliath. How many know the story of David and Goliath? He went down into the valley to battle this giant of a guy who was like nine feet tall and all muscular, like your preacher. And he was <laughs> not a good time to laugh. And. What about Daniel and the lion's den? How many remember studying about Daniel and the lion's den? You did too? You did too? All right. And what about Joseph in Egypt? Do you know about that one? Okay. You guys, 
You guys know everything there is to know. That's incredible. Well, these stories are real, the ones that I just told you about there. And they all have a moral lesson, uh, uh, something that we need to learn from those Bible stories that will help us. Uh, that, and, this, and many of them, it was that God will work things out no matter what. So sometimes when you're trying to do everything right and things get all messed up, it kind of, it's kind of puzzling to you, isn't it? Kind of makes you wonder, why is things all messed up when I'm trying to do what's right? So I want you to remember that they always work out because God will work them out one day. To help you remember that, first we're going to pray, and then we got something for you. So let's bow our heads, every head bowed. Father, we thank you for this blessing today of being able to talk to these boys and girls, and I pray that you'd help them to know that no matter how difficult situations get, no matter how puzzled we get about why we're having to go through things, that, Lord, we would give you the honor and the glory, and we would trust you still. No matter what, we just cling to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, because things that happen are puzzling sometimes, Miss Pat has some puzzles she wants to give to you. And so when you work these puzzles, it'll help you remember that even though things get kind of puzzling, God will work them out one day, and you can work them out one day. So go ahead and pick out a puzzle and take it home with you and put it together. Last week, we started a series of, and we need seats. We have seats right down here in the front, some of these premium seats, high-dollar seats right here. Uh, so have them... I just got through talking about prosperity gospel, and then I, boom, say that. If you can leave any seats on the aisle, right here on the aisle, there's uh, four or five seats right here, Gary, in the front, and just leave them so that they can find them. I know there's some right in the middle there as well. Thank you very much for helping out with that. Last week, we began a series of messages on a chronological study of the life of Christ, and we began with his presentation of the temple because we had just gotten through with the Advent and talking about the Christmas story and all of the things involved with the Christmas story, so I didn't want to be repetitious with that, uh, so we started with his presentation at the temple as a little baby, eight years of age, going through the covenant uh, significance of circumcision. Today, we continue our study, and if you're a military family, how many, how many military families do we have, either active or you've been in the past? Raise them up real high, because this is, this is amazing. You military families who have to move around a lot will probably appreciate part of what this young family had to endure. I know uh, Caitlin and, and, and Joey are getting ready to, to go. Last week we had Chase and Tiffany. Yeah, I think. Jazz. Jazz. Okay, Chaz. All right, whatever, I can't hear. So... <clears throat> So, but you get, you, you know what it's like. So here, look, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they, that is the wise men, after Jesus was presented at the temple, the wise men came. We always think, or at least traditionally, we think it happened right at the birth of Christ, but that's not the case. Uh, it was after his presentation at the temple, so it had to be after he was eight days old. Then the, the wise men came, and they, they left. They departed. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. This is Joseph, who is the stepdad to Jesus in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child, Jesus, and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he rose, when Joseph rose, he took the young child and his mother by night, in other words, under cover of darkness, he was concerned about and fearful of what might happen otherwise, and they departed into Egypt and, there, and they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son, which is a quote from Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. But when, and later on, when Herod was dead, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead who sought the young child's life. And Joseph arose, took the young child and his mother, and came to the land uh, of Israel. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus, Archelaus was reigning uh, in Judea, Archelaus was one of the sons of Herod the Great uh, and his wife Malthus. Uh, he was a brother of Herod Antipas, Antipas, who would reign later on. And uh, Archelaus was a ruler of Judea from 4 B.C. about to 6 A.D. Uh, he did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. And so Joseph was afraid to go there. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. And that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Luke chapter 2 says, and when they had performed all these things, the things we just talked about above, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own city, Nazareth, and the child, Jesus, grew um, physically and waxed or grew strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, a deep knowledge, and a moral insight, and the grace of God that produces joy pleasure and acceptance was upon him. And this happened in about the winter winter or spring of 4 BC. This is interesting. The exact date of Jesus' birth is not known uh, for certain, but according to the Gospels, he was born near the end of Herod the Great's reign, and, and that would ha- Herod died in 4 BC, uh, so it would have had to have been somewhere around there, so uh, about 4 BC. Probably he was born around 5 or 7 five or six or seven B.C. After Jesus' flight to Egypt, the young family returned to Nazareth. Now, our Savior had been born in really tumultuous times. As if it were not enough that they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census that was required uh, in her condition of being pregnant, as if that was not enough, uh, and as if the wonders of the angelic choir in the heavens and the excited shepherds running to the stable or the place where Jesus was born, and the whole idea of a lack of proper housing to give birth to this new little baby, and if the idea of traveling wise men, if all of that were not enough, Jesus was born into a world where the powers that be, the political powers, would not think twice about killing innocent babies. In Matthew 2, 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, how was he mocked of the wise men? He said to the wise men, I want to worship the Christ child. Let me know when you find him. I want to go worship him. But in reality, he wanted to put him to death. And so God revealed that to the wise men. So when they found Christ and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts, they then left by another way and being warned of God, did not tell Herod where they were, where they found him. And so when Herod figured that out, he was exceedingly wroth and sent forth, and listen to this, he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time that he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Can you, I I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the grief, the agony of soul. What happened? I I couldn't find a picture that even... uh, I just couldn't find anything that would portray the horrendous situation of little babies, two years old and younger, being put to death. Innocent little babies. It's repulsive to me that someone would issue that kind of an edict. He was so desperate 
He was so desperate that he had innocent babies killed. And it dawned on me, it's a whole lot like today. People get in desperate situations and, and so they terminate the life of a baby. And if you've done that, I'm going to tell you something. It's not the unforgivable sin. God, the only unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I'm going to tell you this. We're all sinners, every single one of us. Your sin is no worse than my sin. My sin is no worse than your sin. The sin is sin in the sight of God. But desperate situations should never require us to take the life of an innocent little child. There's got to be another way. There've got to be other ways. Adoption is an incredible way to take care of that situation. But here, we we are repulsed by what Herod ordered his soldiers to do, and yet in the United States of America, we we are an abortion capital of the world. But our heavenly Father was not about to allow the culprit, the the corrupt head rather, of a godless government to short circuit his almighty plan. So he restrained him somewhat. And and may God restrain our nation as well. I'm so thankful for the Dobbs decision and the Supreme Court reversing Roe v. Wade. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. But the battle is not over. It's only just begun because now so many of the states, I think 33 of the states are trying to initiate laws within their own states that will allow them to go ahead and abort babies up until the very time uh, of birth, up until the very day of birth. Uh, So the battle rages, but at least um, that that one wrong has been righted now. Consequently, God sent an angel to warn Joseph of Herod's evil plan. Now, I want you to notice angels. I want you to notice the, the position and the part that angels played in the life of Christ. Until I put this together, I don't think I've ever realized this, this completely here. But first of all, angels were made by and for the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and those specifically refer to angelic beings, by the way. All things were created by him and for him. That's what the Bible says. So you say, well, yeah, but he had a, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, uh, that God, that Christ created them and they were created for him. They also worship him, Hebrews 1, 6. And again, he brought in the first begotten of the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. So the angels of God bow before our Savior. They predicted his birth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, behold, you shall conceive in your womb, uh, the angel told Mary, and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. They announced his birth when it took place in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, to the shepherds, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They protected him from Herod in the passages we just read. Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there till I bring you word, because Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Way back in David's day, he wrote this prophetic psalm in Psalm 91:11. For he shall give his angels charge over to you to keep you in all your ways. They they ministered to him in the wilderness. And the Bible says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. And we stand these great, uh, incredible, um, what what do you call them? What do we call them? Cantatas or, uh, huh? Pageants. Yeah. At the other church. And and, uh, we would have all of this acted out. And it was incredible. Some of the deals that 
we were able to put on with our own people. And Peter was one of the angels who, and, and I tried, Donna brought me a picture. I was going to use it, and it, I can't get it to, it was too fuzzy. I couldn't tell. Uh, you know, I don't, Peter's not a fuzzy kind of guy, so I didn't want to put a fuzzy picture of him up. And, uh, but, but he was standing there over Christ. I'm telling you, it was emotional to see uh, uh, someone portraying an angel uh, tending to and ministering to the Lord Jesus Christ at the, in the wilderness and because of the temptation that he'd been through. And then and ministered to him in the garden. Maybe that's where it was, actually, in the garden. Uh, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him uh, as, he was, as the devil was trying to kill him in the garden. Uh, and then they rolled away the stones. Angels did. In Matthew chapter 28, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door. They announced his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28. He is not here. For he is risen. They predicted his second advent. This same Jesus who is taken up from you in heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And in fact, they're going to accompany him when he comes back to to the earth. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So angels played an incredible part in the lives uh, of, of our Savior. They also played a pretty incredible part in the life of Mary and Joseph and Jesus early on. It mentions dreams here, and every once in a while I have people come to me and say, Preacher, I had this dream, and this happened, and that happened, and so-and-so was there, and and somebody else was there, and what what do you suppose that means? Well, it could mean that you had too much pepperoni pizza the night before, (laughs) or it could mean God's trying to tell you something. I mean, it really could. Uh, So Joseph, Jesus' stepdad, had a dream, uh, and that dream was that he was going, that Mary was pregnant uh, by the agency of the Holy Spirit of God. And so Joseph accepted that. Dreams were often used by God to communicate with people. Uh, Joseph, the son of Jacob, a different Joseph, um, had dreams. He dreamed that uh, his brothers would bow down before him. And then he had another dream that his brothers and his mom and dad would bow down before him. And guess what? It came to pass. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He, he dreamed uh, his dream was most specific about uh, this great image and, and the rock that would come and, and, and crush this great image and so on. And, and Daniel gave him the interpretations of it. Uh, Daniel had dreams. Pilate's wife had a dream. Have nothing to do with this just man. If Guys, if he had only listened to his wife. Who wrote that in my notes, Pat? That looks like your handwriting. <laughs> Pilate's wife would have, would have prevented Pilate from making an error. And Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, had another dream. Get your son, get your wife, leave uh, the area because Herod is going to come and, and wreak havoc. So the first dream with this text actually wasn't Joseph's, but it was to the wise men being warned of God in a dream they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. And, and so God used dreams. God used angels. God also used the spoken word. Many times he would speak in audible voices. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. What an experience that must have been. He spoke to Noah and gave him plans for building an ark and told him that he needed to build it so that he could get two of every kind of animal, seven uh, of all the clean animals, and get them on the ark and and, and preach for 120 years while the ark was being built uh, so that people would hear and heed the warnings and would go to, to the safety of the ark and be spared. And yet no one but his wife and his sons and their wives responded. And so when God shut the door and the floodwaters came, 
the whole of the world was, was then uh, killed in that catastrophic flood. So he spoke to Abraham, you remember that? And he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. He spoke to him uh, on the mountain of Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. And, and then when the people went into idolatry, he came back down and Moses broke the tablets and uh, went back up and God had him carve out stones and then wrote the Decalogue once again. Uh, Isaiah heard the voice of God saying, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? He said, send me. The wise men heard uh, the, the warning of God. Uh, the, the voice of God was heard at the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Today, you say, how does he speak to us? Through his word. Through his word. You say, well, well I wish I could be back in the day when, they, when he spoke out of a burning bush. Yeah, he didn't have the Bible either. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know about all the prophecies. He didn't know who Jesus was going to be. I'd rather have the Word of God and have the living Word within me than to see some. We're so drawn to these spectacular things, right? That's why I'm careful about this Asbury thing, tell you the truth. I'm going to be careful. The Bible tells us to try the spirits, right? So we don't want to just uh, accept hook, line, and sinker, anybody, what anybody happens to say. Uh, we, we want to make sure that if it's of God, that it really is of God. But the Word of God gives us parameters. The Word of God tells us there are right things, there are wrong things. It's the Word of God. Well, if they didn't have the Bible, how did they even know about the Ten Commandments? How did they know any of those ten things were wrong? Oh, yeah, killing somebody, that's wrong. Yeah, committing adultery, that's wrong. Yeah, blaspheming God, that's wrong. Coveting? Oh, my neighbor has a pretty nice car. I kind of like that car. How would, we, how would we even know if it weren't given to us in the Word of God? So today, primarily, can he speak through dreams? He is God. He can do whatever he chooses to do. Can he speak through audible voice? You know what? When I was called to preach, it was not an audible voice, but it was through the Word of God. Matthew chapter 9, I'm reading it, and God's speaking to my heart, convicting me of what I needed to do. Uh, let's move on. Herod the Great. There are at least four Herods in the Bible. Did you know that? Four different Herods. One of them is Herod the Great. This was the Herod who, was, who, who reigned at the birth of Christ, who died in 4 B.C. So when Jesus was born, Herod the Great was on the throne. Herod Antipas was Herod the Great's son and ruled while John and Jesus carried out their public ministries. And you know John was a cousin to Jesus, right? Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist. Wasn't John the Presbyterian, I'm sorry. Wasn't John the Lutheran, I'm sorry. Wasn't John the Nazarene, I'm sorry. It was John the Baptist. I just love playing with that. All right. This is how, this is the Herod, Herod Antipas, who, who married his brother's wife and later beheaded John the Baptist. And you guys wonder why Baptists don't dance? It was at a dance where the edict was given for John the Baptist's head to be chopped off. That's why I get nervous when people talk about dances. 
And then there was Herod Agrippa, who was the ruler who persecuted the church in Acts chapter 12 and, and began to have martyrs for the cause of Christ. It was Herod Agrippa II then, who was the fourth Herod, who heard Paul's defense in Acts chapter 26. Now, Herod the Great, again, the Herod who was in charge at the time of the birth of Christ, wanted to know where Christ was born. Um, he wanted to eliminate his political threat. Herod was known uh, to be um, paranoid, almost paranoid to the point of psychotic break. Uh, he became a tyrant, worried that he would lose his kingdom, and he built fortresses and other places um, where he would, would be places of refuge when he felt threatened. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, not a Christian, Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, wrote about the execution of two of Herod the Great's sons. He had them executed because there were rumors uh, of mutiny. And a quote from Josephus' book, Jewish Wars, said, he also sent his sons to Sebaste, a city not far from Caesarea, and ordered them to be there strangled. And this was the end of Alexander and Aristobulus. Aristobulus? That um, was the end of them, whatever they, whoever they were, whatever their name was. Uh, their own dad had him executed because there was a rumor. He also had, listen to this, the parents of, of one of his ten wives killed. He had ten wives. He had his own sister executed. I guess the last nail in the coffin, whatever, the last hurrah, at his own death, he had an edict, he had a law. At his own death, he ordered his son Antiver to be killed along with some recently arrested Jewish elders so that his death would be mourned, if not because he died, but because people were mourning that other people were executed at the moment of his death. So this is Herod the Great. This is the kind of guy he was. We see the journey to Egypt, of course. We've already talked about it. It had been prophesied in Hosea. It had been prophesied uh, in, in Jeremiah. The order came from Herod, and weeping for the children refused to be comforted for the children because they were not. They were taken. Uh, and so Jeremiah, the prophecy, and his pro prophetic words about Ramah, was, uh, and, and Ramah was a loud voice, lamentation, and weeping was realized. So they go, now they, they get word from God, Herod the Great's dead. We're going to go back. Oh, but we don't, his son's reigning, so we're going to not go to go to Bethlehem. We're going to go to Nazareth. Once again, the angel instructs, uh, Joseph, in a dream. So being warned in a dream. Now note the irony. The irony is uh, that when, uh, when Israel, when, when, when uh, Abraham first went to Egypt, uh, it was not in God's perfect will. God had not told him to go to Egypt. And so uh, there was some awful things that happened because he, he went to Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. But now here, the angel tells Joseph, take your son, take your wife, and go to Egypt. So which is it? Uh, is it right to go to Egypt or is it wrong to go to Egypt? Well, it all depends on the commandment of God. <laughs> That's the obedience to God is the thing. Not the geography, but obedience to God. And so he, he lets his son, he, pleads, he leads his son, rather, to Egypt to, to escape Satan's wrath. In John 17, verse 16, even though they were in the world, Jesus said they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The Bible tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We are in the world. We are in the devil's domain. The God of this world, small g, is Satan. His 
Demons are real. He has demonic activity that he's responsible for. He has satanic activity he's responsible for. I hear there was worship of Satan on the Grammys the other night. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm just, uh, guess what? A lot of people worship Satan. You remember the satanic Bible that came out back in the days when uh, Hal Lindsey was writing the late great planet Earth? And, and there was satanic Bible. Now, this is goofy, Okay. This is good. I don't know what you're going to believe about this. I don't even know what I believe about this. I had a copy of Satanic Verses I got from someone. I put it in my fireplace and tried to burn it. It wouldn't burn. I'm just telling you. So you can think I'm kooky if you want to. I kind of think I'm kooky because I just don't understand why that didn't burn. But it didn't burn. I had to tear it up and throw it away in another, in another way. Uh, so we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're not to be like the world. This world is in warfare and in battle with Christians. And that's why, one reason, why things can be so rough on Christians in our, uh, in our day and age is because we're at war. Because of the ruler in Bethlehem, Joseph returns to Nazareth and Jesus would be called a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. Nazarite vow was a whole different thing. Nazarene was someone from Nazareth. And here the Bible says he would grow in strength and wisdom. Um, and if we had been Joseph, stop and think about, okay, got to take my pregnant wife, who was not pregnant by me, from Nazareth to Bethlehem for taxation purposes, get there. There's no lodging. Uh, they, they wind up in some kind of a barn or cave, something where animals were kept with a, a manger and, and so the straw maybe to make it, maybe new straw to try to keep uh, nice for the baby. And, and then shepherds show up with this crazy idea that, uh, you know, I mean, they didn't understand all this stuff. And then they go back to the temple and then they present Jesus and then the, uh, the wise men come. I mean, all this stuff happening. And then they get these warnings, go to Egypt. And then they get another warning, go back to, to, your, to Israel and, and the son of Herod the Great. And so we had to go to Nazareth, Nazareth again. I'm just telling you, uh, would you have thought if you were Joseph that things were pretty messed up? Have you ever thought in your own life things are pretty messed up? They're not going right. They're not going the way I thought they would go. They're not, it's not happening the way that I planned. And even to make things worse, when you're really trying to put God first, when you're really trying to serve God and the bottom falls out, do you, do you kind of, what, God, what's going on? The old, why me? Fact is, why not me? Job was a righteous man, did nothing wrong. Look what happened to him. I've, I've done plenty of things that I'm not proud of. I don't want anybody to know about. So why not me? Did you realize that when sin entered the world, not only did death enter spiritually immediately, but physical death followed? And did you know that even nature itself, what we call nature, creation itself, created by Almighty God, creation itself was affected and is in the throes of the, the results of sinful humankind's mistakes and rebellion. So we have, we have natural evil, what we might call natural evil, hurricanes, earthquakes. 
volcanoes. We have natural, and then we have, we have things from God, too, judgment upon sin. Is it any wonder? Man that's born of woman, Job said, is a few days and full of sorrow. Joseph looked around and he said, what's going on here? I'm just a young man trying to take care of my wife and I'm trying to take care of my little baby and I got to keep moving around and what's going on? Uh, Our lives, there are times when they seem really messed up when we fail to see God's plan. Ultimately, we fail to see his provision maybe. I don't know how tough you have it, but I will guarantee you it's a lot better than a lot of people in Turkey and Syria right now. I will guarantee you the worst, whoever has the worst set of circumstances in this room is better off than a lot of people in Ukraine right now. We don't always see his provision. We don't always see his purpose and what he allows to happen. We think things are out of control. We get puzzled by why God allows us to be in certain circumstances. And maybe it's because we've forgotten we're in a war. And war is not convenient. And war is not fun. And war is terrible. And war is very trying. And war is costly. And war is wearisome. And war is dangerous. And I look at someone like the Apostle Paul. And maybe, maybe we look at him and we say, wow, he got to write so much of the New Testament. Wow, he planted churches all over Asia Minor. And he's famous for the gospel. He's famous the, the road to Damascus, knocked down by a shining light, voice heard from, from heaven, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And Paul said, regarding my life, I've been in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent. In death often, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he didn't mean marijuana. (laughs) Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then besides all of these things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of the the churches. <laughs> I just got one church. He had all these churches with all the burdens and all the weights and all the needs and all the hurts and all the problems. And I have none of this other. I've never been beaten with rods. My wife smacked me a couple of times, but <laughs> I deserved it. He said, Who's weak and I'm not weak. I, I, I'm, I'm weak. Said, I, I face all this. But he said, one time I was let down a window in a basket uh, through the wall, through the hole in the wall, so I could escape the hands of the, uh, of the people in charge there. And then all of this, we, didn't, we haven't even talked about the thorn in the flesh. Paul, how was your life? 
This is pretty messed up. A lot of weird things happened. A lot of things I'd never planned on happening happened. Had a lot of trials. I was persecuted for my faith. I was beaten often. Most of what I wrote that's now a part of the New Testament was written from a jail cell. And probably he was martyred. Probably. The fact of the matter is all of us would be destroyed in an instant if it were not for Almighty God. Because you know why? All things still work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And we learn all of this from studying the life of Christ and what he went through. And if he, as the perfect son of almighty God, went through all of that, what makes us think we're exempt? Why should we be? Life messed up? Hang in there. Trust God. He will deliver us one day. Our Father in heaven, we pray for your soon return. We pray, first of all, before you return even, if there could be a sweeping revival where millions, if not billions of people were brought into your kingdom, we would love that. If it's your will, God, may it be so. May it happen. If this that's happening that we've talked about in Asbury and other places, if that's real, God, may it continue, may it grow. Lord, if what's happening in Uganda is real, may it continue, may it grow. God, sweep across the continents, bring in a great harvest, and then, Lord, we want and yearn for and look for the return of our Savior and our God who can take us out of all this mess, straighten things out, and make things right for eternity. Lord, we pray for these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand? Invitation. Opportunity for you to come and kneel up here. One of the things they're in Ashbury, one of the things they're doing, they, they're just kneeling and talking to God, just praying, confessing to Him, asking Him to forgive them, asking Him to bless them. Maybe you need to do that. If you do, come ahead. Feel free to humble yourself before Almighty God. If you need to come and receive Christ as your personal Savior, please let me know. I'll be glad to talk with you. If you want to, ladies, if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, my wife is in the back somewhere. Yeah. And Rachel's back there. Huh? Oh, she's in there. Okay, Rachel's in the back. As we sing, come ahead and do what God would lead you to do.
next verse just for you. Come ahead. Come on right now. Don't leave until you do what God wants you to do. for God to move in our midst in every place that he wants to move that things happen for the glory of God have a great rest of the Lord's day Mark Blumenthal would you mind closing us with a word of prayer would you do that please sir Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today.